0: This is the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who pointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry." But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord.
1: So when I was in uh, Europe recently, I spent the first couple of days in a hostel in Vienna. And I met an Aussie guy there. He was in his mid-twenties. Uh, we got talking. Um, and he asked me what I do when blokes chat. That question normally comes up pretty early on in the conversation. I told him that I lead a church. And that kind of dovetailed into a really interesting conversation about uh, life, faith, God, and just about everything else. And we had quite a lot in common. We, we both live in Queensland. He'd served a few years in the army. Um, he was into running. He was a triathlete. So we got on well. And at one point, I was telling him that when I first became a pastor, I was surprised to discover that most people have something in life that they're struggling with. Well, there is an exception to every rule. And he said, I don't feel like I'm struggling with anything. He said, I come from a good family. Uh, I went to a really good school. Uh, my parents and all my relatives, they're, they're, they're all healthy and enjoying life. And I'm traveling around Europe for the next three months. And then he said, I, I don't feel like I need to talk to God. To all intents and purposes, certainly at that moment, at that stage of that man's life, he felt satisfied. So what would Jesus say to someone like that? What would Jesus say to the satisfied? Well, the parable of the rich fool is a good place to start. Not that I think that guy I met was a rich fool, not at all. Um, But it's a good parable for those who are satisfied. But it's important to realize that Jesus didn't address this parable to a group of people who were rich and comfortable themselves. At the beginning of chapter 12, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak. Let me assure you that in first century Judea, this would not have been a crowd of rich, comfortable people. The sermon, this parable, was addressed to a group of people, the vast majority of whom barely had enough to live on. Most would have had one spare garment, but not more. And destitution was a very real and present danger. One failed crop, uh, one serious illness, uh, the death of a main provider in in a family, and life could be changed forever. Jesus didn't address this sermon to a group of people who were worrying about affording um, plush cars and foreign holidays. But a greedy, grasping, materialistic mindset is not the preserve of the rich. Jesus uses this parable to help the crowd and us understand what's really important in life and what isn't begins when someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You may have heard of the expression, where there's a will, there's a family. And families can become very divided and combative and resentful when it comes to money, especially inheritance. And this man wants Jesus to apply some kind, I guess, some kind of spiritual pressure on his brother, uh, and he's willing to put financial gain over and above this familial relationship with his own brother. And Jesus responds by saying, he basically says, "Look, my, your family finances are nothing to do with me." And then he says, "Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions." Jesus is warning us against materialism. He's warning us against placing our hope for a better life in money, possessions, and comfort. Anybody can be materialistic. Uh, If you're poor, you might see money as being the answer to all your problems, uh, whether or not you'll ever have any. If you're rich, You might be satisfied with your wealth and comfort and therefore blinded to the spiritual realities of this world and what's really important. That said, if a person is building all their hopes and dreams around uh, the accumulation of material wealth, it's unlikely, I think, that they will ever be truly satisfied. If you ask a materialistic person how much money is enough, the honest answer would always be, A little bit more than they have but the truth is uh, that the vast majority of us in the Western world are quite materialistic Uh, we hear all the time that money doesn't buy happiness fulfillment or satisfaction and we all agree we say money doesn't buy happiness Uh, that's true Uh, we know that and then we live our lives as if it does and it doesn't seem to matter how much evidence we see to the contrary. You know, very uh, wealthy people could be movie stars or um, music artists or influencers or whoever it is, people with lots of money who clearly aren't happy. And sometimes they come right out and say it in an interview or something. They say, I'm not happy. Or they're in and out of rehab or uh, their lives are a train wreck. Uh, we see all that. But in the back of our minds, we, we think, if only... I was rich. Or not even that. We might think, if only I had a bit more money, life would be so much better. I wouldn't be like uh, those rich people. I'd be a different sort of rich person. Now, there is, of course, a level of poverty where a little extra money would vastly improve the quality of life. You know, for those who are struggling to put food on the table or a roof over their heads or uh, those who go cold in winter or can't afford education or healthcare, uh, a decent living income would, I think, make them happier. We know that money doesn't buy happiness, but if you're living in object, abject poverty, then uh, a little extra money can make you a lot happier. I don't think we should deny that. It's, I think, self-evident. It would be almost patronizing to say that's not the case. When a person's basic needs are not met, it's miserable. It's miserable. But going beyond our basic needs, when a person's wants are not met, it's only miserable if that person has a materialistic outlook, mindset. There's usually a huge difference between our needs and our wants. If we are poor by Australian uh, standards and dissatisfied with life, it probably has to do with the fact that we're disconnected and distant from God. If we're rich and dissatisfied with life, it probably has to do with the fact that we're disconnected and distant from God. Because alienation from God is the existential crisis facing the whole of humanity. Thankfully, there is a solution, and we're going to come to that in a moment. But what does it look like to be truly satisfied? How are we supposed to live? What is life supposed to look like? Well, the first part of the book of Genesis paints this picture for us. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see human beings living in a beautiful garden. They're attuned to the rest of creation. God is there with them, as in personally there alongside them. Genesis 3.8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Moreover, uh, they had a God-given purpose to tend and care for this garden, to nurture it, and even to go beyond it to subdue the whole of creation and to reflect God's goodness and glory out into the world. So they lived in close relationship with God, with one another, and with creation itself. And they worked in partnership with God to fulfill his good purposes for all that he'd made. And that is a picture of satisfaction and fulfillment right there but we know that something went wrong. The first humans wanted autonomy to define good and evil for themselves. They wanted to do things their way without any reference to God. And once that choice was made, everything went downhill fast. The intimate relationship between humans and God was broken Uh, Creation itself was marred. The ground became hard, producing thorns and thistles, so uh, work became really difficult, back-breaking, irksome. Enmity arose between people. Within a generation, the Bible records the tragedy of the first uh, murder evidence that death had entered into the human race. And as you read through the book of Genesis, you'll notice that people's life spans are getting shorter and shorter. There's evidence that death has taken a hold. Humanity is in the grip of sin and death. And today, just as in the book of Genesis, we see pride, envy, murder, deceit, selfishness, And every kind of rebellion against God. Now, that all sounds pretty depressing. But the good news is the good news of the gospel is that God came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ to defeat sin and death so that the creation and humanity can be restored to what they were always meant to be. Jesus promised to return, and when he does, creation will be put right. And all those who know and love Jesus, and all those who have ever known and loved Jesus will have a share in this new perfect world. So the story of the Bible begins with a perfect creation that goes wrong. The majority of the Bible tells the story of what God is doing about it, working in and through human history with the ultimate purpose of bringing a savior into the world. And the overarching narrative of the Bible concludes with a renewed and restored creation where God lives with his people forever. See, so you see, the world as it is now is not the world, is not the home that we've been created for. And this is why we can so often feel out of sorts in the world. Deep down, we know that this is not how things are supposed to be. And we long for something more. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Materialism is making ourselves comfortable in this world as if this world is all there is and all there ever will be. So, the parable of the rich fool. This man, and we notice that he was rich to start with. He didn't lack anything. Um, One year, he had a bumper harvest. He had so much grain, he didn't know what to do with it all. He couldn't fit it all into his barns, his massive surplus. He went from being rich to super rich. Uh, For some reason, it reminds me of uh, Pablo Escobar's Medellin drugs cartel. At, At one point, they were making so much cash that they were spending a thousand dollars per week just on rubber bands so that they could wrap it all into bundles. This man in the parable had so much grain and grain equals money, so much grain that he couldn't even store it all. He didn't know what to do with it all. So what does he do? I mean, he's already rich. He doesn't need the money. What does he do? Does he give away the surplus grain to the poor? Does he sell it? and uh, how use the money to house the homeless and the destitute? No. He knocks down his barns, and he builds bigger barns. And he says to himself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So he got all this grain, all that money, and then he died. And he has eternity ahead of him. We read this parable and we think, well, that guy really had his priorities wrong. Uh, what a shallow individual. But if we think on it for a while, we may well realize that we have more in common with the rich fool than we might like to admit I would say that the majority of people in the Western world, to some extent, aspire to be like that man. Now, of course, no one aspires to be uh, greedy and selfish, but many people spend their whole lives looking forward to their retirement so that they, they can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, as if that is the main purpose of our lives. And there are plenty of people who spend years and years planning and working towards that goal. And when they finally retire, they do get seriously ill and die like the rich man in this uh, parable, the rich fall. So what's the point in it all? Don't hear me wrong. It's not a bad thing to plan for the future or to make wise financial decisions. The Bible has a lot to say in favor of good financial management. Planning for the future is not a bad thing. The mistake is to put all our eggs in this flimsy and temporary basket that is wealth and comfort. When we do that, we are giving way to materialism. And the fruit of materialism is usually greed, selfishness, and stinginess. By taking an eternal perspective, instead of focusing exclusively on the here and now, we begin to loosen materialism's grip on us taking that eternal perspective. So the rich fool lived as this world, this life, is all there is. He made himself too comfortable in this world without any thought for the life to come. He believed that he could find complete satisfaction in material things. But even if it were possible, to be completely satisfied with wealth and comfort, and I'm not at all convinced that that's the case, but even if that were possible, it is temporary. It will not last. It won't last. When I was in the Royal Marines, I was uh, among a group of soldiers who were among the first to be deployed to Afghanistan. And For the first few months, we were working out of a burnt-out old aircraft hangar at Bagram Air Base. Um, we made it like home. Well, we, we made the place home. We, we swept it out. We, we cleaned it up. At first, we had these horrible little camp beds, uh, which were basically just a, a, a square of uh, um, green canvas propped up by these four spindly little wire legs. And uh, we soon replaced those with the bigger, uh, wider, more comfortable uh, cot beds that we managed to beg, borrow, or steal from our US counterparts uh we made a chessboard uh we made a gym outside out of bits of scrap metal that were knocking about the place a lot of it had been uh stripped off um old uh, russian mig aircraft i can remember doing bicep curl with a with a with a wheel on each side of uh of this bar um we made the place as comfortable as possible but you won't be surprised to learn uh that they didn't fly out our furniture Our fridges, TVs, sofas, they didn't bring us any of that stuff. Why? Well, apart from the obvious logistical difficulties, Bagram Air Base was not our home. We made it fairly comfortable by our standards, but we knew that our time there was limited. At the end of the tour, we would return to our true home. And it's a bit like that with life. There's nothing wrong with wanting to meet our material needs and those of our family. There's nothing wrong with a degree of comfort. No one wants to live in abject poverty. But if we spend our whole lives striving for wealth, ease, and comfort, then we are wasting our time because it is temporary. It's not going to last. We're not going to be here forever. One day we'll die and we won't be able to take our possessions with us. As it says in the book of Job, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Far better we devote ourselves to that which is eternal. As Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. Not only does this make good sense, but it is profoundly more satisfying. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we can see how life was meant to be. Human beings were meant to live in a close relationship with God and to devote themselves to his good purposes. We have been created to live in relationship with God, to be filled with his life-giving spirit and to glorify him with our lives. And even though things went wrong, through Jesus... All of that is still possible. By inviting Christ into our lives, we are brought back into an eternal relationship with God. And if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we begin to fulfill God's purposes for our lives once again. Nothing can be more satisfying than that. So what would Jesus say to the satisfied? Well, if you're looking for satisfaction in the material world, and only in the material world. The material world is not bad, by the way. It's been created by God for our enjoyment. So it's not bad to look for satisfaction there. The problem is when we're looking for satisfaction only in the material world. Well, if that's what we're doing, whatever satisfaction we experience will be short-lived. But if our satisfaction comes from having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and devoting ourselves to doing the things that God wants us to do in the world. Well, then we begin to taste, just a small taste of the perfect satisfaction that we will experience in the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have made and all that you have given us. We thank you for your uh, love and care for us. And we pray that you just help us to get our priorities right. It is so difficult to do that. I think at any point in history, but in the modern world, so many distractions, so many things coming at us every day, things that will potentially draw us away from you. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to stay on track, to walk that path that you put before us, to do your will. To live our lives in the way that you've called us to live. To be the people that you've called us to be. And to put you first. And our relationship with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.